That is Psalm 86. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call to you. Hear my prayer, O Lord, listen to my cry for mercy. In the day of trouble I will call to you, for you will answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvellous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love toward me. You have delivered me from the depths of the grave. The arrogant are attacking me, O God. A band of ruthless men seeks my life. Men without regard for you. But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. We're just going to read a second passage um, that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verses 3 to 11. So if you want to flick across to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. Praise be to, God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure, far from our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that we will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now we're just going to pray and then hand over to Brenda. Dear God, we just thank you so much um, that we can all be here today, that we can have the freedom um, to look into this topic of suffering. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is sovereign, you are a God who is good. Um, And I just pray that now through Brenda that you would help us to understand um, your design in suffering and um, I pray that you would just open hearts and minds to hear what you have to say. Father there are many in here that have questions and um, that have issues and we just pray that you would um, really speak to our hearts now. In Jesus name, Amen. <clears throat> Thanks Laura. Um, 
Last month, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Last month, this day, actually, four weeks ago, we had a family wedding. And uh, one of my nephews, and I should tell you that I have more nephews than Carrie. We have 22, I have 22 nieces and nephews. Uh, one of my nephews was getting married. And it was a lovely occasion. The sun shone. We had a very pleasant temperature, and of course we were, that was a relief to all of us. And the ceremony itself was very, very special. The bride and groom actually stood on a little stage and they faced the congregation. And we could see that my nephew was really quite emotional. And of course, when we saw his emotion, you can guess what his aunts and his mom, (laughs) uh, it was such a beautiful. And of course, he was just so conscious of the goodness of God in his life. The pastor spoke very well, and during the sermon, he said the following, he said quite a lot, but he said three words, when trouble comes. And you know, I was struck again by the inevitability of trouble. Even on such a happy occasion, we were reminded to expect trouble. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world... You will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Do you know that verse really sums up my seminar today? The subject of suffering is such a massive one, and I've chosen just to focus on four what I've called heart lessons in suffering. Now, before I begin, I want to just share with you a story of a young man called Matt. And I will share a few stories with you this afternoon, and of course all the names will be changed and, and some of the details. And all of these people have given me permission to share their stories. Matt came for counselling. Actually, his mum uh, rang me and asked me if I would see him. Uh, she was very, very concerned about him. He was a young man in his mid-twenties. And uh, when we got settled in our chairs and I'd made him a cup of tea and given him a Thornton's chocolate, those are very important parts of the counselling agenda, um, he began to tell me his story. And it was a very, very sad story. His parents had divorced when he was 10 and he had very little contact with his dad throughout his teenage years. That was very difficult for him. When he was 20... His best friend, whom he had known since he was in playgroup, they'd really grown up together, they were closer than brothers, they'd gone to BB together, they'd gone to primary school together, secondary school, uh, they were uh, played football together. His best friend was killed, tragically, in a road traffic accident. And of course that was devastating, completely devastating for Matt. A couple of months after the death of his friend, Matt started dating. Now, he was a serious, committed believer, and he had been intentionally befriending this girl, and then he asked her out, and he was delighted. They started dating. And he had in his mind that he was going to get married when he was 25. That plan was in his mind. He was going to get married and set up his own little secure 
family unit. But two years into the relationship, Alice told Matt that it was all over. Now, Matt was completely devastated. He hadn't seen it coming. He thought they were getting on well. His grief was completely overwhelming. And you know, he was suffering a triple loss. The loss of his father at 10 through divorce. The loss of his best friend at 20. And the loss of his girlfriend a couple of years later. And of course, losses add up. Matt began to question God's goodness in his life. He said, does God not care for me? God mustn't love me. Maybe he's punishing me. His heart's cry was, why me? Doesn't your heart go out to him? So many people are suffering today. D.A. Carson in his book, How Long, O Lord, says, if you live long enough, you will suffer. Suffering is inevitable. We know it. We hear tragic stories every week, unbearable tragedies, unspeakable losses. And in this room today, there will be many who can identify with Matt. Maybe you are in the middle of fresh grief, a loved one who's died in recent months and your heart's broken. The pain is like a heavy weight on your chest. The emotional pain is as severe as physical pain. You feel like a knife has been stabbed into your heart. Or maybe it's the pain of a broken relationship. One young 25-year-old said to me recently, she can't get the thought out of her mind that maybe she could have done something to prevent the breakup of her engagement. She should have been more thoughtful. She shouldn't have been so demanding. She shouldn't have been so needy. Do you know her if-onlys haunted her? Or perhaps your suffering is the wrenching pain of physical illness. Or maybe it's related to persecution at work. You have a demanding boss who is forever raising the bar in terms of expectations. Or it might be the hidden torment of depression, that dark night of the soul. Or anxious thoughts, or mental anguish, which have taken such a hold that your whole day is spent trying to shake off those obsessive worries and fears. That's the hidden face of suffering. Edith Schaefer in her book, Affliction, says that suffering is in all of our lives to a greater or lesser extent. It can be anything from that persistent headache, which is in the lower end of the scale, right through to the death of a loved one. When we ask ourselves this question, Why is there so much suffering in the world today? Why is there so much turmoil, conflict, death and disease? Of course, we know the answer is to be found in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, pain and suffering have been unleashed on the world because of the fall. When God made the world, it was perfect. No death. 
no disease, no disaster. But when Adam and Eve rebelled and turned away from God, our world became imperfect, broken because of Adam and Eve's sin. And as a result, pain and suffering, frustration and grief are ours today. So we live in a broken world. It's groaning. What can go wrong will go wrong. It's a world full of suffering. It's a world full of unmet expectations. She hoped her family would turn out well, but two of her adult children haven't spoken to her in five years. It's a world full of disappointments. She'd hoped to be married and have a family, but she's still single at 39. It's a world full of death and disease. Her husband died prematurely at the age of 38, leaving her with four young children. It's a world full of conflict and disharmony. I asked a question recently of a missionary family who were working in Indonesia, and the question related to uh, harmony in the home. Two teenage girls, 16 and 13. You think that would be very harmonious? No. I asked them on a scale of not to ten, what, what, how would you rate harmony in the home? And they said two. And that was pretty accurate because their parents said their home was like a war zone. That's how they described it. And we began to think of ways of moving that two up to three and up to five. And we had an interesting discussion with the parents giving lots of ideas and the teenagers giving lots of ideas. But conflict and disharmony... That's our inheritance from the fall. The four issues, heart issues, I want to just leave with you this afternoon. God wants our hearts directed towards him, hearts healed by him, hearts motivated to comfort other people, and hearts focused on eternity. When we think of hearts directed towards him, Lamentations 3, 32 and 33. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. He does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. That verse meant a great deal to Matt. He began to understand that God hates evil and suffering. He hates death and disease. He does not willingly bring affliction. But we live in a fallen world where bad things happen to good people. And God is sovereign. He is in absolute control of all that happens. And we should be comforted by God's sovereignty, not offended by it. You see, there are two elements. There's God's infinite love. There's God's absolute sovereignty. God is good, and all he does is good. Theologians, and I'm not a theologian, you'll be glad to know, theologians call that God's providence. Jerry Bridges says God's providence is the constant care for and his absolute rule over all of his creation for his own glory and for the good of his people. Nothing escapes his control. God is in full control. He allows us to experience pain. But here's the wonderful thing. God is with us in that pain. 
Here's what Margaret Clarkson said. The Son of God is the one solid rock to which the suffering heart must cling. The circumstances surrounding our our lives are no accident. They may be the work of evil, but that evil is held firmly within the mighty hand of God. Our suffering hearts must look to God, keep our gaze firmly fixed on God. He has the big picture of our lives. Focus on his character. Know that you can trust him. And when you do, you will feel the warmth of his love. In that verse, in Lamentations, it speaks of his unfailing love. What a beautiful phrase that is. So great is his love. It's as vast as the ocean. We can bathe in the warmth of the love of God. Here's how Hannah Whitnell Smith described God's love. She said, put together, all the tenderest love that you know of, the deepest love you have ever felt, the strongest love that's ever been poured out on you, and heap upon it all the love of all the human hearts in the world. Multiply that then by infinity, and you'll begin to have some faint glimpse of what the love of God is for you. God loves us. It's a fact. It's not an airy-fairy feeling. Not only is he all-loving, but he's also all-powerful, all-wise. He is our creator God, and he cares for us. We need to hold on to that fact when we're suffering. Sometimes we don't really believe that God loves us. How could the God of the universe really love me? We might know it in our minds because we believe what, it, what we read in the Bible, but we don't feel it in our hearts. And then we get upset when so many bad things happen to us. We need to learn this time and time again. God really loves us. Is this a problem for you this afternoon? Remember the devil is filling your mind and my mind with lies. And we're tempted to believe him. And that makes our suffering worse. Here's some of the lies that the devil might be tempting you with. If God really loved me, he would heal my father. Or if God really loved me, he would sort out that job situation. Or maybe God has forgotten me. I'm not worth anything. Or God's punishing me. I should try to do better. Or as this 45-year-old woman said to me recently, she's a missionary working in Central Asia. She's been working there for 20 years as a single woman. She said, do you know, I've been praying for a companion, for a husband, for 20 years, and God hasn't answered my prayer. Surely I don't deserve to be alone after all I've done. God mustn't love me. The devil wants to believe, us to believe lies about the love of God, about the goodness of God, about the power and authority of God. He wants us to sink into that pit of self-pity, of resentment, of bitterness when suffering comes. 
He wants us to harden our hearts, to turn away from God. Don't believe the devil's lies. God loves us. We look to the cross and we see that's how we know. We see how Christ suffered for us. He was the ultimate innocent sufferer. He purchased rescue and freedom for all of us. That great exchange, his life for our lives. He was punished for us. Do you know, if you are not suffering now, here's a little bit of advice. Prepare yourself because suffering will come. And it's good for us to have what what we call a robust theology of suffering. Have a little understanding of what God can do for us in suffering. It might go something like this. Suffering is horrible, but it will happen. It's a consequence of living in a fallen world. God loves us. He's with us in our suffering. He hates to see us suffer. He hates to see his children suffer. He is our best comforter in our sorrow, in our time of sorrow. Our father doesn't like to see his children suffer. God will bring good out of suffering. There is a purpose. There is a meaning. We may never know what it is, but there is meaning in our suffering. And God is sovereign. Our loving Heavenly Father is in absolute control of all that happens. God's main purpose for us is that our hearts are directed towards him, growing deeper in our faith, helping us to understand that we cannot cope without God's love, without God's help. We can't survive suffering without divine intervention. We can't get through these trials without God. Derek, the 54-year-old man who has a brain tumor, he told us this. He said, this past year, I've got to know God so much better. I depend on him. My relationship with him is so much stronger. For Derek, his suffering has taken him deeper and deeper into a relationship with his heavenly father. Everything else has lost its importance. For Derek, pain has deepened his faith. God wants us to direct our hearts to him, to help us realize that we can trust God in our darkest hour. Matt came to realize that. His suffering began to make him look up, not to look away from his creator, but to look up to look up to his saviour. One young couple have come to me recently for counselling, Gwen and John. And they're coming through a very severe trial. They've been married for 10 years, they're a young couple in their mid-30s. And just a few months ago, Gwen found out that John was having, or had been having an affair And that affair had been going on for some time. He broke down one night after church and revealed everything. Gwen was completely heartbroken. She was devastated. John is very repentant. He realizes that he has 
come very close to losing his lovely wife and his marriage. And he's just so thankful. He's thankful that she's coming for counseling. He's, he's thankful to God for his forgiveness. Now, Gwen is on a journey. It's going to take time. She is grieving. Her heart's been broken. At one stage, she said to me, I don't know if I can ever trust my husband again. I don't know if I can ever forgive him. And we talked, and I said, humanly speaking, forgiveness and renewed trust will be very hard to achieve. On her own strength, she wouldn't be able to do it. She realized that only God could heal her broken heart. It was only the work of the Holy Spirit in her life who could change her heart, replace that desperate hurt and betrayal by a renewed love. She is getting there. Of course, it is a process. It's not instantaneous forgiveness. It's like the process of sanctification. There's a gradual healing going on as she asks God to help her every day. Gwen is a very loyal wife. Gwen has not told anyone about her husband's adultery. A couple of things are holding her back in the healing process. And they hold all of us back. One of them is her thinking style. She'll be driving home. She's a 45-minute commute from her work to her home. She'll be driving home and the thought, her mind is in overdrive. It begins with one thought. Where did he meet her? And it spirals down to, how could he do this to me? How dare he treat me like this? By the time she gets home, She is raging mad. And she wants to get her hands around his neck and squeeze very tightly. She is so angry. Now Gwen knows that there's a very strong link between what she's thinking and what she's feeling. Her thoughts were spiraling out of control and she wondered how God could allow this to happen to her. She felt that God didn't care for her, that God had forgotten her. And of course our thoughts do impact our feelings in a very significant way. In my work as a child psychologist I use a little book called Think Good, Feel Good. It's based on the principles of cognitive behavior therapy. And you know sometimes we need some biblical CBT. We need to set our minds straight, hold those thoughts captive. We need to imbibe the truth about the character of God, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he's in control, that he's with us in our suffering. Gwen is beginning to do that. Very often our thinking patterns can make our suffering worse. There might be a few distorted patterns there. All or nothing thinking, well, if he did this, it shows he doesn't love me. Or if God allowed this, it shows he's forgotten me. The truth is her husband sinned. Her husband was very repentant. Her husband does love her. And the truth is God is working through this awful trial to bring good into both of their lives, to bring both that husband and wife closer to him. Now they're doing their daily readings together and they're praying together And you know, their personal prayers are so important. Why? Because no one else is praying for them. No one else knows. Gwen is such a loyal wife that she has not shared with anyone apart from 
myself about this terrible tragedy in her life. Can you imagine the loneliness of that for her? They need to be praying together, and they are. And I believe that many people are lonely in their suffering today. They're carrying desperate burdens alone. They've not maybe shared that burden with anyone. They don't have the prayer support then. They're carrying that heavy burden alone. Release that burden. Release it to God and release it to one trusted friend so that that friend can pray for you every day. Perfectionism was another uh, issue that Gwen and John had in their marriage. They were perfectionists. Both of them were perfectionists. And of course the perfectionist believes that everything can be exactly as we think it should be and this will make us totally blissfully happy. Hands up all perfectionists. (laughs) Perfectionism exacerbates suffering. And if you have those tendencies, please try to let go. Ask God to heal you from the sin of perfectionism because it's all about control, isn't it? And control is about independence, being able to look after ourselves. And that is completely contrary to what the Bible says about how we should deal with suffering. We can't cope ourselves. We need God's help. We need to surrender We are completely powerless. We're completely dependent. We're the branches. The Lord Jesus is the vine. Without him we can do nothing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We're weak, but God is strong. Our first lesson, God wants us to direct our hearts towards him. And what will we do then? His promise to heal the brokenhearted. Psalm 147, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up our wounds. The Lord is compassionate. He knows our hearts are broken. He knows Gwen's heart is broken. And he has promised to heal her broken heart. And he has promised to heal your broken heart too. I first came across this verse when I was a student at university. A friend of mine wrote it in a little card that she sent to me following the sudden death of my father. And I had never, I was a young Christian, I'd never come across this verse. And actually I thought, oh, that really is so helpful. It helped me and it helped my six siblings too because we were truly heartbroken. If you're going through a similar trial today and you've lost a loved one and your heart is breaking, let me encourage you to be kind to yourself, to grieve and mourn the loss of your loved one, to cry out to God as David does in so many of the Psalms. Psalm 86, we read it earlier. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. 
Or Psalm 31. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. Do you know how graphic is that? The Psalms are fantastic. They validate our strong emotions. They give us words when we have no words. Psalm 42, for those who are depressed. Psalm 40, if you're in the miry clay of of anxiety. A friend who's a missionary in North Africa, uh, she's been there for 25 years. She's just returned to her home country. She shared this technique with me a few months ago when I was going through a particularly difficult time. She said, Brenda, I think you need to read five, five psalms per day. And I looked at her and I thought, five psalms? And this has been a wonderful, wonderful blessing in my own life. And what you do is simply take today's date. Today's date, the 20th of October. Add 30 five times. And when you are really suffering, five psalms a day is not difficult to do. If you're really suffering, you will have read all 150 psalms in one month. Cry out to God. We need to camp out in the psalms when we are suffering. Gaze at God. Wonder at his majesty. Relax in his tender loving care. Savor his love for you. Now maybe if you're in the fresh throes of grief, you think, no, I can't concentrate for five minutes. Well then think of one little verse or one phrase. Psalm 86, you alone are God. Give me an undivided heart. Save me in the day of trouble. A phrase or a verse. When I'm working with grieving children, I often love to point them to the visual verses. They love to visualize. God is my rock. Psalm 40, a sure foundation. God is my refuge. Psalm 46, a safe place to hide. God is my shepherd, a wonderful tender guide in the darkness. Or in Proverbs 18, God is my strong tower, a place to run into. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That verse was my mum's favourite verse. She often quoted that verse to us. She loved the idea of the strong tower which spoke of security and safety. My mum was a wonderful, faithful servant of the Lord who died young. And as she dealt with her terminal illness, God was her sustainer. He was her refuge. Very often when people are coming to me for counselling, I say to them, once I hear their story, I say to them, do you know, it sounds as if your heart is broken. And it can be broken for a whole range of reasons. Just a few weeks ago, a 14-year-old girl came to me for counselling. We'll call her Jane. Her parents had wanted me to see her because they were terrified that their child would take her own life. When we got to her story, it turned out that she had been betrayed and rejected by two friends. Those two girls had been her friends for 10 years. They'd gone around together in a threesome for all that length of time. And then, of course, what happened? 
something happened, something was said, something was misinterpreted, and the vicious rumour started. Jane was shunned. She felt completely rejected and alone. She was a lovely, committed Christian, and she began to believe the devil's lies. In fact, her world shrank down into a little bubble, and inside the bubble, these thoughts were percolating. You are worth nothing. You have no friends. Everybody hates you. God has deserted you. God doesn't care what happens to you. The devil was very busy. He's always busy where our minds are concerned. Jane had listened to those lies and started believing them. And maybe that resonates with you today. Maybe you believe that God has deserted you. Remember, that's the lie of Satan. Satan is prowling around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour, and that is you and that is me. His main purpose is to dislodge our faith in God. He wants to put up, us to put a, a barrier between us and God. He wants us to stop reading the Bible. He wants us to stop attending church. He wants us to stop filling our, to, to stop praying. He actually wants to fill our minds with lies. Jane, this 14-year-old, began to see that over the next few months. Do you know, this is a good story. Her heart was healed. It wasn't instantaneous. It was a process. The process where she allowed the Holy Spirit to do his work of healing. Jane held on to that verse that we know so well in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. Jane's story has a happy ending. She began to look back and she began to see God's providential dealings with her life. She'd be under the control of those two girls for far too long. She began to feel that God had rescued her, that God had given her a freedom that she had never had before. She really experienced the truth of those words spoken by Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis when he was confronted by his brothers in Egypt. Men meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Do you believe this yourself when you're in the middle of a trial or suffering? God is in control of all our circumstances. He is the sovereign God. He is king of all the earth, and he wants to be with us, his people in all their waking moments. Of course, everyone's suffering is different. It's unique because we all have unique relationships. And of course, what's suffering for me is not suffering for you. And remember, there's no hierarchy of suffering. The broken world affects absolutely everything. But God is with us in it. What doesn't help us in our suffering? Well, here's one thing, the pat answer. Oh, do you know that's happening to you because you don't have enough faith? Or you're not healed because you don't have enough faith? Or like or Job's friends. Remember Job's comforters? That's where that little phrase comes from. Nobody wants a Job's comforter. Job, that epic book which has influenced millions of people, some pat answers there. When someone, when a tragedy strikes, the automatic response is, of course, why me? 
Why now? Why this? It's like an automatic response from our hearts. Please don't be tempted to try and answer that why question. Nobody can do it. We don't know. Don't quote Romans 8.28. Well, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's not the time or place for that verse. Job's friends were no help to him. They made his suffering worse by their pat answers. They said, Job, you must have committed some awful sins for God to allow this suffering. Quick, confess them before something else bad happens. No. We may never know why something happens. We just hold on and trust the God who knows why. We just hold on and cling to the God who loves us. We just hold on and love the God who is our source of help and comfort. When we do this, suffering drives us deeper into God. Derek, that 54-year-old who has the terminal diagnosis, said that. Many of the widows who come to me for counseling say this. A 75-year-old woman who lost her beloved husband that had been married for 50 years, she said, God is the source of my strength. But what stops our hearts from being healed? Many who are suffering have different ways of dealing with their broken heart. They can become a bit self-protective, angry, bitter, cynical. We maybe hold up a shield and we don't let God in. Maybe become too controlling, too fearful, too overprotective of other family members if we've lost one. You know, the Psalms helps us again. They're full of pleas for help. They epitomize our anguish or desolation. We follow David's example. We relinquish our fears. We offer forgiveness. We let go of our what-ifs and if-onlys, asking God's peace to come in and reign. The peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And of course, our hearts do need to be guarded and our minds need to be stilled. God wants us to open up our hearts to him. Don't hold back. Don't repress your grief. Don't uh, be so busy that you actually don't, don't do the work of grief. Open up, cry out to God. Your pain is his pain. He will answer you. Jesus heard the cries of Martha and Mary. He felt their pain. He was deeply moved. Jesus understands our pain. He wants to be with us in our suffering. He wants to heal our broken hearts. And in turn then, our third lesson. He wants us to comfort others. He wants us to comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from him. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. Suffering is a very lonely experience. So when we're going through difficult times, there's nothing better, nothing sweeter than the company of someone who has also suffered. This is what uh, Paul says in Corinthians, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. When we're comforting others, we want to help them to grieve properly. We want to 
listen to them. Sometimes as Christians we feel we have to be stoic. We have to be strong. We have to give in to our feelings. This is contrary to what the Bible says about suffering. And we think of this wonderful example we have in the Old Testament of someone who was a true comforter to another one in sorrow. And of course that was Ruth and Naomi. We know Naomi's story. She suffered a triple bereavement, a triple loss. And Ruth to her was a true encourager, a true friend, a constant companion. She was Naomi's, I've just referred to her as Naomi's sole companion, S-O-U-L. And just three, four things I want to leave with you that identify the spirit of a true comforter in times of sorrow. She was sacrificial. She was sacrificial in time and energy. She left her home and family. She made choices which are costly. Hebrews 13 verse 16 says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, because with such sacrifices God is pleased. God knows that encouragement is a costly business. It's sacrificial. God doesn't want us to waste our pain. He doesn't want us to waste our suffering. He's constantly refining us, constantly molding us, constantly shaping us. And in turn, he wants us to share his grace and love with others. How lovely. God is pleased when we sacrifice our own comforts. When we tell others how he helped us, when we point others to his love, We receive the love of God and then we share that with others. And that brings glory to him. But please be careful. Please be kind to yourself. Give yourself time to heal. Be patient with yourself. One lady said to me recently when I asked her what had helped her, she'd suffered tremendous sorrow. She said, time and patience and God's love. Be patient with yourself. And then when God shows you, move out into the life of another person. That's a great ministry. That's a great purpose in suffering. She was obedient. She was sacrificial. And she was obedient. She was obedient to the call of God in her life. She was open to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We see that loving fruit in Ruth's life. Maybe God is calling you today to lovingly encourage another person. Maybe he's, want, he's pointing you in someone's direction, someone who needs a kind word or a loving touch. And you remember the Lord gives us what we need. He says in Isaiah 54, the Lord will give you an instructed tongue to sustain the weary. Very often we say, oh, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to comfort that person. How could I ever know How could I ever identify with that terrible tragedy? The Lord will give us an instructed tongue. Ruth also showed an understanding of sorrow. She walked alongside Naomi in her grief. She wasn't judgmental. She didn't chastise Naomi when she demonstrated that bitter resignation at God's providential dealings in her life. Remember, Naomi was honest. She was honest about her feelings. She referred to God as El Shaddai. Loving covenant God has, the loving covenant God has done this 
to me. She's honest. She's not hiding anything. Ruth could cope with that. God could cope with that. And we need to be able to cope with people's honesty in their grief. It's so important to understand the emotions of the grieving person. So important to accept that they could be in a state of shock, which could last for months when they first hear the news of the death of a loved one. I believe that that shock is God's way of protecting us. It protects our minds. We can't take it in. I remember when my own father died, I was in shock, actually, for nine months at least. I remember three weeks after his death going into the psychology office and telling the secretaries, well, you know, my dad had a heart attack and died. And I remember them looking at each other, and I knew they were thinking, well, that hasn't sunk in with her. And of course it hadn't. Nine months later I was at a wedding and someone sympathized with me. And of course I burst into tears. I was in shock for that period of time. That's not unusual. That's stage one of the grief process. Stages two and three, if you think of an inverted bell curve, stages two and three are swirling down there in the bottom of that pit. And that's where we need to be with people who are grieving. That strength of emotion felt by mourners, the loneliness, the anger, the yearning. And as reality hits home, they need our time and patience. They need our understanding. They need our compassion. They need someone to listen to their story. They need love. They need us to pray with them. They need God's love flowing into their lives. It's such a privilege to do that. It's such a privilege to be a comforter to someone who's grieving. They also need reassurance. There's so many myths going around regarding grief that it's important to guide folk and gently redirect their thinking if necessary. One common myth is time heals all wounds. Do you know it's so common for someone to say, you'll feel better in time. But this is one of the greatest misconceptions about grief. Time alone does nothing. Think of the widower who 10 years on, he puts on his suit and tie and he visits his wife's grave every day at noon. Has time healed his wound? No, it hasn't. It's only as we do the work of grief that time brings healing. It's only the soothing balm of the Holy Spirit who can heal our broken hearts. And as we pray for folk and gently encourage them to open up their hearts to the Master's healing touch. Only he can heal. Another common myth is to do with our emotions. Tears are a sign of weakness. Well, absolutely not. Tears are so good. Tears are therapeutic. The Lord stores our tears in a bottle. The compassionate Savior understands our need to cry. Sometimes our most effective comfort will be to cry with someone who's grieving. I've been counselling a wee eight-year-old boy. He's such a little darling. His dad died six months ago, and we've been preparing a memory book together. And the last session, he shed some tears when he was looking at the photos of his dad hard at work in his garden. And I cried with him and I said to him, look, your wee heart is broken. And he agreed with me. Tears are good. I often say to folk that they should let themselves cry every day. Let those tears 
flow. God will be collecting them. Ruth showed an understanding of sorrow. And finally, she was a great listener. And she loved well. We're not, some, some of us are not great listeners. We love to share our own stories of suffering. But for those who are grieving, you know, they cannot listen to one word at the very beginning of their suffering of anyone else's suffering. All they need is unconditional listening. They need active listening. No self-indulgence. No telling my own experience. At that time, of course, later, yes. And we listen to the Holy Spirit as he guides us. We listen to the person as they share their heart. Listening is a wonderful gift. Maybe God is asking you to listen to someone today. There's so many lonely folk who are suffering the loss of a loved one who need us. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your pain. Enter into someone else's suffering. Enter into someone else's pain. And God will be glorified. Not only did Ruth listen well, but she also was the embodiment of God's love to Naomi. Don't we often find that, that God's kindness to us is demonstrated through his people? There is hands and feet. They bring the gift of love. They bring the gift of hope. We're instruments in the Redeemer's hands. Showing love can be so practical. Of course, we, can, we know those acts of service or those loving words that affirming the the person for who they are, giving words of encouragement, reading a psalm, praying, or it can, can be the physical contact. Many widows miss hugs, so give hugs. Women need them. Or it could be the gifts of flowers, or body lotion, or a B&B voucher, that's my favorite. Anything that is a sensory experience is a lovely thing to give someone who's suffering going on a walk, a nature walk with them together, giving a person gifts that they wouldn't normally afford. It's a lovely act of love. And of course, most importantly, quality time. Our time and our focused attention. When we give the gift of love, we bring hope. Hope that brighter days lie ahead. Hope, too, that this will pass. And we said, finally then, we we think of what what does God want us to focus on? He wants us to direct our hearts towards him. He wants to heal our broken hearts. He wants us to be motivated to comfort others. And he wants us to focus on eternity. Suffering drives us to seek help and solace from the only one who can provide comfort. And, very, and we know that much of the pain and sorrow that we experience in this life is used in God's providential hand to make us homesick for heaven, to detach us from this world, to prepare us for living with him, to look at life experiences from the vantage of the end. The life we live on earth is in truth a rehearsal for the real thing. It's the dot. Eternity is that long line stretching on forever. We need to live life with eternity in view. Our real for our forever life in the presence of God will be somewhere better. It will be with someone better than anything, any place, any person here on earth. 
Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. God offers us an eternity of unimaginable happiness. It'll be a place where there's no sin, no sorrow, no pain, no death, no loneliness. It's almost too much for our finite hearts to take in. It's going to be great, Revelation 14, verse 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors, will rest from sin, will rest from grief and suffering, and will rest from disappointment and death. God, Jesus is calling us to be healed, to comfort others, and to long for heaven. Christine has found this healing during the past year. She lost her lovely husband at the age of 54 after 30 years of marriage. She has felt anguish. He died four years ago. She has experienced the deep pain of loss. She has been tortured by the what-ifs and if-onlys. But God has met with her during this past year and he's brought a wonderful measure of healing into her life. He's brought her strength and courage. And Psalm 86 has been her psalm this year. In my day of trouble, I will call to you for you will answer me. He did this for Christine and he has promised it to do it for us too. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just we come to you and we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your tender care. We thank you for the way you help us in time of trouble. You are our rock. You are our refuge, a safe place to hide. Lord, we come with our suffering hearts when you ask for your healing touch for each one of us. We just thank you, Lord, for your constant care for us. We thank you for all you have planned for us in heaven, our eternal home. Help us. Help us to continue to live life with eternity in view. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.